He said, Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents. <laughs> Hello, folks. It's Thursday, January the 21st, 2021. 21, 21. Excellent day to be alive, right? That might be a silly question, and that's the premise that I've got written here. Stupid question. I wrote this article a while ago called The Possibility of Disaster. It's about questions. So um, I feel like I'm lacking enthusiasm and reprieve if I just settle for uh, ask a stupid question to get a stupid answer. The possibility of disaster was much more extensive. Why you ask questions? What happens if you don't ask questions? It's really about having this disconnect that folks have between themselves, between information, accuracy. And that's a, that's a big deal, right? And so um, when you're sitting around... Um, and you're thinking to yourself, well, should I ask? Should I not ask? Is it about money? You want to make more money where you work? Go ask the boss. What does it take to make more money? You know what I mean? Just ask. They may tell you something that you're unable to do. Maybe they have a qualification you're not going to meet. But there might be some sort of expectation that you could definitely fall in line with, right? Well, what we need you to do is be available these hours. I, I can do that, and and make use of yourself and enjoy that. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you got to sit back and think to yourself, what does it mean to you to live with the unknown? Many of the the people that I've dealt with throughout my rich history of customer service and the. the Biggest disconnect is the unknown. You're waiting tables. You look at someone and they've just sat down. Folks, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to stop by this table first. You become accountable. Now, they're not wondering. They didn't have to ask a question because you were proactive. And folks who are proactive are, are in a sense, it's synonymous with being preventative. And that's just one of those things. It's why you... Take your time to do a routine. When you're in school, you do physical fitness. When you do this homework, it's the routine, the remedy, the cycle of life that is on a premium blend of working towards a great skill set, of being able to delegate your resources, and of being able to maneuver through those things that have yet to be explored. Perhaps it's just a class that you've not signed up for. What? I'd like to take that class. Well, if there's a prerequisite, I guess you can audit the class, right? But you wouldn't be able to take the class yet. Not qualified. Here comes that word. And if you're looking at questions that you want to be able to ask, are you at a place where you can even formulate the question? I talked about this in other episodes right? English is an equation from the sentence structure 
to the choices of ingredients or words. I like to use the, the ingredients, the recipe metaphor constantly. And so English is that way. If you're writing a scientific equation, it's got to be done with this professionalism that I refer back to. There's got to be formulated in a way that's going to encompass your needs and get to an accurate answer. Math, same way. If you don't know how to formulate an equation, you're not going to get an accurate answer. You know, that's just how it is. Um, I just think that um, I don't find that not asking questions has ever gotten me anywhere. So I'm more willing <laughs> out of out of either being impatient or simply not being afraid to fail. Uh, I am all over the place, all over the map. With any questions, concerns, curiosities that I have. The one thing that I factor in more than anything in those situations is timing. As a blanket word, as an umbrella word. Is it the right time? And okay, well, this person is doing something else. If I ask them that question, it could derail their thought process. They they could be tidying up that chore in the next couple of seconds. Hold off a couple of seconds. Then I'll go ask my question and take care of my my needs. Very simple. Very simple formula. Now I'm not sitting back unknown. Now am I giving them something to do right after they just finished that task? They might have thought they were done. Didn't have anything else. Of course, life is unexpected in those ways. And as you accumulate knowledge, it is my belief that you bear a responsibility for what you do with that knowledge. If you have that gift, you're able to answer these questions. You've developed this idea. You've got a patent on something. You've done the research. Maybe it's just your recipe. And they come back and they have a question about the recipe. Who do you want to ask? You want to ask the developer. You want to know what was done to a house? Maybe you ask a real estate agent. If you want to know what happened in that room, maybe you should... Ask the craftsman. If maybe it's the guy who lived there, maybe it's not the guy who lived there. You know. But you want to be able to go and ask the right question to the right person. And so when you're asking a question of science, where you go? You want to go to a trusted source. We've talked about this many times. What makes it trusted? You know, your qualifications, if it's any number of factors that you want to assess and value. If you like it because it's peer-reviewed, if you like it because your daddy said so, if you like it because it's based in your hometown, because it looks good. Yeah, I really like the color scheme on their website. All right. Enjoy. Salon.com. <laughs> Whatever you're looking at out there. It doesn't make it, you know, you got to remember that when you are placing the importance on these factors, it's got to be important not only to yourself and your own satisfaction, but if you're going to take that information and the responsibility that you have with that information, carry it with you. You don't want to be carrying pyrite. Right? You don't want to be carrying stolen goods. You don't want to be carrying bootleg. You know, it's just, it's terrible to have to let somebody know. They resemble these customers. You watch History Channel, Pawn Stars, great show, Rick Harrison. American Golden Pond or whatever it is out in Vegas, right? And people will come in, 
This right here was a billfold that was owned by a shaft. And on the side of this billfold, it says, Bad motherfucker. This was Shaft's wallet. It's from the movies. I just bought it at the yard sale last week. How much is it worth? Well, I'm sorry, sir. This is actually not the uh, wallet from the movies. It's just a copy. It's a cheap imitation. No! (laughs) These people who think they're sitting on a gold mine, that they've got, you know, their future riding on this miscellaneous you know this piece of luck that they have it's just a, it's just it's a shame to see it right because the rest of us there's an establishment that goes around and you know we, we have the, the equifax and experian and whatever there's there's you know your th- credit check financial institutions we're going to put things on your resume because they come from an accredited institution someone of higher learning perhaps perhaps you have a professional reference letter that's written by someone who then stands on their reputation or their accolades and so we value those things from person to person and business to person and business to business and everything in between and beyond and we do that with this universal understanding because those are the formulas that yield the best results just like with language People give Bill Cosby a lot of flack. Give him flack. He gave this speech, and I got it off of the P2P, the person-to-person sharing. Uh, It was a program that was years and years ago called Kazaa, K-A-Z-A-A. And it's uh, I've never been able to find it anywhere else. I've tried to look this speech up many times. The transcript, I've tried to find the file, the YouTube, just to look on Google and see if it happened. But it's named Bill Cosby giving this speech to McDonough High School. Mick, M-C, and then D-O-N-O-U-G-H, McDonough High School. I still have the file, but I've never been able to find it anywhere else. Cosby's speaking to these folks, and he talks about how the principal is willing to open the schools up after hours, on the weekends, let them tour, let them get smarter, the value of math, knowing English. He said, you're never going to go pick up a job application, and they're going to ask you where you live. But the only application it says, it, <laughs> he says, only application it does not say where you been at. <laughs> you know, he just he talked about the importance of knowing the way that language is accepted on a professional, on a universal level, right? It's this idea of this subculture of dialect, rebonics, or slang, slurs. These things just they handicap you. And I've been listening and reading and looking a lot at Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L, Thomas Sowell. And you look him up, and he's a, what a man, what a mighty good man. I think Salt and Pepper might have made that song after him. He's wonderful uh, economics, and, and otherwise everything can, sort of falls under his belt because he's written these extensive books about the way that uh, IQs have played out, that incomes have played out, the way that people in developed nations have played out based on the practices and policies and the time that they live and the location they live. Very interesting man. When you take folks who have done a, a lifetime's worth of work and you put your confidence in their words as, as I am doing, as I did with, with, you know, as people have done with Cosby. Yes, there's times where there's 
some embarrassing things that may end up playing out. Does that strip away the work that they'd done? Well, if John Nash goes to jail next week because he shoplifted, I don't know that he's still alive. John Nash, the, the subject of the, the mathematics uh, prize-winning young man that they made the Russell Crowe movie, um, A Beautiful Mind, about John Nash. If he goes to jail next week, it does not change his contributions to the field of mathematics. This is a popular argument in many, many walks of life. A young man named Chris Benoit, who did a, a terrible, you know, allegedly he's dead, the family's dead, case closed kind of thing. They're not pursuing any anything at this time. But, um, you know, OJ's running around and he's still in the Football Hall of Fame and nobody's taking his records away from him and, the, and so forth. So there's a lot of argument to be had about how things are handled once someone's reputation is is out there. Those are different kinds of questions. As I'm talking about, you're asking a stupid question. You get a stupid answer. However, when you look at just contributions and things that people have contributed to history on paper, you can look at the atrocities that some people have had. Very ugly. Tells a very ugly thing. That can be your place to shine the spotlight you know what that guy here's what he did that i don't like what did he do that you did like you ever think there's a guy who did you know 40 years worth of of work in his country or otherwise and he did you know whatever changed about the climate or you know maybe he was found out or whatever it might be that uh people are going to take away the good? Because see, if it was a monetary value thing, right? It'd be money. It'd be, you know, this guy invested money his entire life. He did all of these things, da-da-da-da, stole that money. Well, let's just get to the story of Robin Hood. How come nobody's ever crucifying this guy? He's a thief. Well, I mean, he stole from the rich and he gave to the poor. Oh, is that what he did? Well, he still didn't generate anything. He stole, you know... And that that's that being the story, right? So here's a guy who's invested money his whole life. Where'd he get the money? Oh, he it was a Ponzi scheme. But he gave all that money to the church and charity and da da da. And you look at that, you look at a guy like Bill Gates. There's here you want to know the largest landowner in the country? Bill Gates. Uh something Harper magazine was covering. So here's Mr. Gates. How many of you, you know, out there lived through the nineties? They even vilified him in this indirect way with this movie uh, called Antitrust. You know, Microsoft always been the subject of different things. And so Gates, you know, the, as, as the rumor goes, you know, stole the code, started Microsoft, and he's been running around ever since. And it, it, modern times, we have judicial systems who will, you know, sort this out if you've got enough money or you want to bring it in front of somebody uh, from a litigation perspective. Okay, so even if you don't, the rumors persist that he you know, started Microsoft uh, in a fraudulent way. And ever since then, has he done wonderful things with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Of course, here's a guy who's trying to help with the vaccine. He's trying to help cure this and that and AIDS and stuff around the world. 
he's doing so by running his computer company, which might be founded on a lie. So what would happen if you went through the courts is they would determine how much that lie was worth, and then they would create a payment, settlement, whatever other financial arrangement they might make, and that would settle the issue. Or they'd take away his, they'd take this away and they'd give this to somebody else. But it'd be settled. That'd be the end of it, the end of the debate, as far as the court's concerned. The argument of whether somebody's guilty or or not will you know, will be played out, and the verdict, and now it's in the books. Wait, no, it's not in the, what do you mean? It's not in the books. Where were you going with that, Craver? I'll tell you what I was going to think of saying to you. This is funky word, E-X-P-U-N-C-T, expunge, or expunct, as many of you might. <laughs> that sounds like something Jim Cornette be. Mopping up at the booth. Um, no, the expungement means that uh, somebody goes back after the fact and wipes it off of your record. It's not like when they seal your juvenile record otherwise. It's an actual offense that has been you know, found guilty, but you can go back and appeal it. And If you do the right things, meets the right qualifications, you can have it erased from your record. More or less. And in the movies, you know, in the law and order shows and so forth, they'll dig that stuff up. Uh-huh, what about 1985? That was expunged. And it was, so now you can just say it was expunged because it's been forgiven legally. That's all you gotta say. And if you were to go out and fill out a job application that says, were you convicted of such and such, according to the expungement, you know, the, the rule of law, you don't have to divulge that because it's been expunged. So, when you're out asking questions of things and you're looking for the qualifications of things you're trying to place a value on things it's very 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 helpful to know what means the most to you does it mean the most that somebody did some good but they had to use a shortcut to get there well that's up to you to decide it's people who do that with language you might think ah he's he's cursing and he's doing this it's just so vulgar he wears offensive t-shirts. It's gangster rap. It's not my genre of music. How in the world could it have a positive, upbeat, uplifting, motivational message if it's not done the way I need it delivered? You didn't hand me this gift in the right frame of mind, right? You gave me this with the wrong intentions. Does it change what the gift is? No, is this gift card will still work when you slide it to the gas pump. They laid it on the doorstep. I really wanted them to put it up on the threshold. Look, the location of where a package is laid is not going to change the quality of how the product performs once it's in your house. Well, you know, you can come up with these bullshit. It said lay up on end or fragile or whatever. You know what the hell I'm talking about. You sit back and you want to ask questions about the world. Ask your questions in a way that you can place what would be a reasonable value that the rest of society and mankind, your species, your race, can understand and they can go with, right? Because you now have the answer. When you ask the question, if you get that answer, you are in possession of that. And this is what I was referring to earlier. You have the responsibility for whether you have that resolution or that information that answer is. 
So when I go playing, digging through with a pen and paper or here with a microphone with a keyboard and I'm just going to town and I'm writing and I'm thinking and I'm, all right, I'm going to tell this story with this metaphor or otherwise. Well, now I've found answers. That's the reason I write is I go out with a series of ideas that may or may not overlap or conflict with one another and I start laying them out and measuring them out, sorting them out, putting them together. This belongs. This doesn't belong. This cancels out that. This will expunge that. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's why I write. Some You may look at it in, in terms of it's always going to come from somewhere to solve a problem, to bring it from a need to a fulfillment. That is probably a more accurate, universal way to say that than you would think. Because... Most things that I write are just sentimental, just gratuitous sort of, I would like to be able to share my experience, my joy, my appreciation of, and then you write it to the person you love, to the girlfriend, Mother's Day, you know, whatever. I have a need to express myself to them. There's a, <laughs> a sort of a universal accepted hands out kind of position that puts those people in on these days. You're supposed to give them a gift, a present, represent your appreciation with something. I don't know why everybody else writes. Maybe, you know, some people need it in a journal. Some people need it for discipline. Some people, but they have a need and they're fulfilling it. So if you have questions, write about them. Ask them. Find the way to formulate the question, and much like you would formulate the equation or the sentence or the mathematical problem. That order of operations, and what I mean by that for a question is, you come down to the wire in your mind. Okay, is this, is this the right time? All right. Yes! Maybe you're at an auditorium with a Q&A, so you're going to stand in line, and you're going to get up to the microphone, and you ask a question. Now it's your time. You know it's your time because you're in the front of the line. They called on you. Boss is sitting in his office. Is it a good time? Bad time? And you look at him. Is he sweating? Is he eating? Is he throwing things? Now, if you're on the other end of a phone, you don't know the right time to call or text or otherwise. Maybe you can assess you know, a pattern of, oh, oh, this person is usually better after they've eaten or right after class, after school, after work, after this activity or that. You can do that research on your own to know when to ask the question. Those are sort of the qualifying circumstances to be able to get the most accurate, best experience out of asking your question. It's very complicated. Now, it, it may sound simple, but if you really wanted to meticulously pull apart all the layers and all the possibilities... I mean, you're just continuing to ask more and more questions to be able to find out what those possibilities are. And did you cover all the possibilities <laughs> and uncover all the layers? It's really important to some people to be extremely thorough. That's not an excessive, compulsive, you know, sort of thing. That is just being thorough and being meticulous. The difference is... 
obsessive and compulsive is a repetition of the same behaviors. Asking questions. You're not asking the same question over and over again. You're asking continually to get to the finality of it. You know. There's a guy who's full of it. And you're trying to get it all out of him. Well, I mean, you really want to finish him off. You want to hit him with the right question, with the right, you know, the many factors that go into announcing your intentions or your request. Tone of voice, eye contact, your positioning, you know, everything that has to do with the environment of how it's asked, where it's asked. That's where you're watching the big scene in the movie, and you you know, you know there's going to be um, that he's been lying to her on the soap opera, you know. And you look for that payoff. And as a human being, you have many of the same curiosities and questions, or one of the fundamental equalizers between people. How could you do this to me? Why are you only paying me this much? You want me to do what? Those are the questions. The infamous... uh, (laughs) The infamous horror subject that I brought up in the last episode, being a professional, is an analogy. um, Says, a guy asked a woman, he said, you know, you sleep for me for $10 million? And she says, for $10 million, I'll do anything. He says, all right. Sleep on me for a dollar? What do you think I am? He said, I thought we already established that. We're just haggling over the price. Right? Isn't that the old... Now, I don't know where that came from. I just want to be very clear that far before we ever listened to Jim Cornette, who's a wrestling podcaster nowadays, he uses that analogy now, now and then. I heard that from the great one, Mr. James Elroy saying for Mr. J- Mr. Red Fox, I heard that on one of his albums from years and years ago. So it was probably 65, 70 years ago that he put it on the record. I don't know the original uh, person, but when you get down to it and you want to find out who that original person is, it's all it's just a matter of Doing your research, you know, qualifying the different things. Is this a real possibility? Is this worth my effort, my time to go digging into? Those are questions. Is it worth it? I did a family history project last year. I know that there is a stone in um, Reeds, North Carolina. It's got my name on it. It's got Michael L. Craver on it. Uh, This is a memorial stone. For the original man, uh, those folks got off the boat. They settled here, uh, 1777. And um, interesting, interesting times, I suppose. He had seven kids, Mr. Michael Craver. And uh, I got curious who connected me to him. How many members are in my family? And it goes from my grandfather to his father, right? So it would be my great-grandfather. And then his father, great-great-grandfather. Anyways, you go back about, I call those the one-hand people, right? There was in, only five people 
There are five generations back to there. And I found that to be a relatively easy thing using some family records, um, some church records, uh, and believe my brother gave me like a six-month subscription to Ancestry.com, which helped a little, but it's, I understand why people pay for that. It's very intriguing. A lot of old documents are scanned in there from county offices, courthouses, otherwise. So your great-grandfather's draft card might be there where he signed you know, some other document registry otherwise. Very cool uh, to see. Uh, how those people wrote, and you know, sometimes there's old articles and things of that nature where people have been in the paper. It's really neat. But that was the question I had. It was, you know, that's as much research as I've ever really done on on family stuff because we've all kind of understood, you know, here are the last, you know, four generations. But I knew, you know, we can at least go here, and then how do I track it back to the Netherlands? And that's one of the little projects I have this year is to track the Craver name back to the Netherlands and see where it goes from there because I understand that the name has changed hands many times. The name uh, Graber or Graves or there's several other variations with different spellings of Craver like with a K in Germany. And, uh, I think they're all interrelated. It just depends you know, how they were written down and just you know, the, the slight change being done Ignorantly, more or less, right? So, I appreciate you sitting here through the half lunch hour, listening to a little bit of my family history. Maybe you've gotten a few answers. Maybe you have even more questions. That's my goal, anyway. But are you having fun with it? That's that's what's that's what's important. I hope you guys are getting ready for a great weekend uh, coming up soon, right? Because today is the 22nd on Thursday. I usually upload these in the evening or at night, so uh, I'll try to get this one up a little bit sooner. But uh, plenty of content, relevant information, um, and if you listen to it after the fact, does that change how accurate any of this information is? Might be something to think about. Now I'm going to go pick me out a good song to put in the beginning and the end of this podcast and wish you all a uh, a very happy weekend. Uh, Of course, some future episodes will be coming up uh, very soon. But I'm looking uh, for anybody else who wants to contribute to the question and answer. You can send it to the um, uh, email or you can send it to my uh, writing page. And uh, those will not go unnoticed. There's already a, a nice list of those that will go on a Q&A episode, which is looking like it might happen tomorrow. Appreciate all the time, everybody listening. And uh, don't feel like you're not uh, noticed. Just because I don't uh, acknowledge that you're out there, you don't have to question it. I can see the numbers. <laughs> Take care. Give me silver.